We continue uh, with the second sermon in the series entitled Timeless Truths for Changing Times. And the times are always changing, and because they're changing, they bring new and serious issues to us as we um, go through life, as we face life. Uh, there's always something uh, that we have to deal with, um, whether it be in our family or our work or our personal lives. Uh, but times have always been changing, and times have always been tough. You go back to the Garden of Eden, um, we see just how quickly the times change for Adam and Eve. Uh, it says in Genesis chapter 3, uh, Cursed is the ground because of you, though painful, uh, through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food. Great news, good news to wake up to. Uh, uh, I'm sure that when they heard that news, um, you know, Adam said, we can't survive. We can't survive outside this garden. And mankind has forever been trying to figure out how to survive in this world of ours. So tough times were true also in the days of the apostles. And they're true for us today. But God has given us some timeless truths, I believe, found in 1 Peter that help us through these changing, ever-growing um, tough times. And now last week, the timeless truth was this world is not our home. Uh, we discovered over the last few weeks that uh, this world is, is not our home, but that we are journeying through this world to have a home in heaven, a permanent home, a perfect dwelling. And, and guys, one, one that won't need any maintenance. We, don't, we won't have to mow the yard. We won't have to do anything like that. Can I get an amen, please? Yeah. <laughs> so today, today we're going to focus on that you can turn your tears into hope. You can turn your tears into hope. And this means that all of the sorrows, all of the heartaches that are now in such great focus uh, that someday you're going to be able to see a future filled with hope. And uh, hopefully it's, it's the far off future. If death puts us in heaven or if Jesus comes back and comes back quickly, then maybe we can all go together and enjoy such a hope. Um, so our fears, all that we're going through, our tragedies, our circumstances, can someday uh, find hope. There's a brighter future ahead and hopefully, hopefully, that can give meaning to our troubles today. A brighter future in the Lord that can give great meaning to our troubles today. I'm just going to read um, five, uh, three quick verses. And we're going to be looking at a sh kind of a couple of paragraphs uh, of First Peter. And I'm going to read several verses twice, or maybe more than three times, two times. But right now, I want us just to start off, and I want you to notice the word salvation in these three verses, verse 5, verse 9, and verse 10. Let me read them for you. They'll be up on the screen as well. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So you have that word salvation. Look at verse 9. Because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Verse 10, concerning this salvation, 
So every time you read that word, think about my salvation, my salvation. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. Look at that word salvation. Anybody's need who doesn't have it already is salvation. I don't care what they think their needs are. If they don't have Christ, their greatest need in the whole world is salvation. They need to take care of their eternity now because they may not have an opportunity to do it tomorrow. So whatever they may be thinking, uh, like I need, I need more food or I need more clothing or I need more money or whatever, the greatest need of somebody who is unsaved is salvation. And any church that does not major in salvation, either from the pulpit or just in, in, in all that they do, is missing one of the greatest themes of the Bible. I think the greatest theme that runs throughout the whole Bible. There was an elderly lady, and she was touring with some friends in uh, England. And uh, she happened to be in London, and they went to the very beautiful Westminster Abbey. Uh, and there uh, where they... The elite of England and the long history of them worshiping there and they uh, honored the greatest in England there. They were buried and, and had these great tombs and so forth. And the guide was showing them the magnificent stained glass and the stately columns. And they were reading all the epitaphs uh, on the tombs uh, of all the famous people. And they were just going, the guide was going on and on about the glorious history of Westminster Abby, and then he stopped for questions, and the elderly lady asked, when was the last time someone has been saved in this church? Silence. That's a good question for any church. When was the last time somebody got saved here, or saved as a result uh, from you? It doesn't have to be in the church, but when was the last time somebody experienced salvation because the bible says the son of man came to seek and to save that uh, those who were lost so a timeless truth for us is to see the nature of your salvation and when you do you are going to be able to turn your fears into hope so here's the first thing i want us to focus on as we are thinking about this great salvation that we all enjoy and hopefully that we all have in common. And that is, I want us to see the subject of ancient contemplation. Ancient contemplation. Because that's what salvation uh, was. It, it was uh, thought of and, and given to the prophets of old, and that's what we mean by ancient contemplation. So let's look at verses 10 through 11. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about this grace that would come to you, searched and carefully investigated. And they inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. And so uh, right here at the outset, as we think about this ancient contemplation, I want you to see, first of all, it was the Spirit who gave them the message. It was God's Holy Spirit that gave these prophets the message. Centuries before Christ, the Old Testament prophets spoke and wrote prophecies about Jesus Christ 
that he was coming in to the world. They preached and prophesied three things. The suffering of Christ, the glory of Christ, and the grace of Christ. Those three things, those three things the suffering, the glory, and the grace of Christ. The prophets saw the suffering of Christ, which was his death. They saw the glory of Christ, which was his resurrection and his uh, ascension and his, and his reign at the right hand of God, his promised return. And they saw the grace of Christ, that it would be poured out on all who would believe. And we ask, how do they know? How do these prophets know? Jesus had not yet come. And so we read in verse 11, though, that the Spirit of Christ was in them. The Spirit of Christ was in them. That's, that's what Peter tells us. That is, Jesus is the one who told them of his coming. It wasn't just a good guess on the prophet's part. They were instructed by Jesus himself. It was the Spirit of Christ that was in them that enabled them to have this message long before the arrival of of Jesus coming into this earth. And this is a marvelous passage. Uh, I think about the inspiration of Scripture. That if you look at 2 Peter, now this is 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21, it talks about how the prophets were inspired. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That word for carried along kind of refers, uh, and referred to back then, and it's a good example for us, uh, uh, a sailboat with the sails up. I mean, it was, the sails were like alert and able to catch the wind. It describes, I think, perfectly these prophets whose spiritual antenna was up, and they heard from the Lord. What a wonderful picture of how the Spirit of Christ was in the hearts and minds of the prophets, carrying them along as a wind carries sails along. Well, not only did the Spirit of God give them this message, but secondly, the Spirit of God helped them to understand it. I wonder how many times have you been in a passage, a passage that you really wanted to understand, and you just had to stop and pray, Father, may your Spirit guide me to truth. Or you said something like that. Lord, I don't understand this passage. Can you help me to understand it? God always answers in his time a prayer like that. Look at verses 10 through 12. I told you before, I would be rereading these passages again. I don't want you to think I'm just forgetting, but, it's, but they're important for us. <laughs> Number 10, verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. Don't you like that? These prophets carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. We'll address all of that, verse 12, in just a moment. But I just love those verses 
that talk about the Holy Spirit instructing uh, the prophets as to the meaning. And I'm sure there was stuff that they didn't understand, but they were very faithful in presenting it. Well, do you know what all that means? It means that after they wrote it, they went back to study it, to make sense of it, to understand it. It was so inspired by God that many times the prophets didn't understand, and I think more often than not, the full implications of what they were writing, what they were prophesying and preaching about, unless the Holy Spirit told them, spoke into their hearts, spoke into their minds, spoke into their very souls. Verse 10 says, they searched carefully. They searched carefully and investigated. Verse 12 says, it was revealed to them. You see, God gave it. The Spirit of Christ was in them. They searched it. It was revealed to them, the truth of it. So do you want to know truth? I think you would all say yes. Yes, yes, pastor, I want to know truth. How do I know and understand truth? I I think it's just right here. Number one, you must believe that God gave it. You must believe that God authors all truth. And then secondly, you go and study it for yourself. You go into God's Word. You search it and try to figure it out. And then finally, that you allow the Holy Spirit to illumine your heart, to illumine your mind, to understand it completely. That's how you know truth. And just as these Old Testament prophets search the Scriptures, how much more should we be searching and studying the Word of God today? Not only did the Spirit give them the message of salvation, and not only did the Holy Spirit help them to understand what they were putting on their parchment paper, but the message of salvation, this whole uh, salvation thing that they were trying to get a grasp on. Thirdly, that the Spirit revealed the means of that salvation. The Holy Spirit revealed the means of that salvation, and it is this, it's grace. It is grace. Even back in the Old Testament, it was grace. Verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you. Isn't that a great verse? Emphasizing just grace upon grace. And I love that word grace. It's one of the more beautiful words in the Scripture. For by grace you are saved. We need to tell people about grace. Grace, as you probably already know, is the unmerited love and favor of God that is given to undeserving, hell-bound sinners. I mean, it's, it's, it's available to all, but you know, when we accept Christ, we, we're, we were headed toward hell. Would you all agree? I mean, there's two places that we're going to spend eternity. There's heaven or hell. And prior to your salvation, hell is where you're headed fast. But grace puts the, puts the brakes on that journey and helps do a 180 and head back to heaven. And I think that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Uh, there are three words that God deals with us in, in the Bible. You know them, justice, mercy, grace. Justice gives you what you deserve. Now, that's what we hope our judicial system does today. You know, if you've 
committed a crime, there's a penalty, a penalty to be paid or something, and, and you have to pay the penalty, whatever it is. That's called justice. Don't ever ask God for justice. Now, you can ask God for justice for your neighbor who's irritating you or never ask God for justice. We ask him for mercy because that's when God doesn't give you what you do deserve. We say, thank you for that mercy. But, but Father, we're, we're still not quite there. We're still not in heaven. God goes, well, that's, that's what grace is all about. Grace is when God gives you what you don't deserve. Or, I'm sorry, he gives you what you don't deserve, right? And so those always confuse me a little bit because of the do's and the don'ts. But grace is a free gift. We don't deserve it, but we need it. We have to have it. I said last week that salvation is not, does not come by the merit of man, but in the mercy and the grace of God. So the first thing I want you to see this morning is that salvation was the subject, is the subject of ancient contemplation. And I think the, the prophets did a marvelous job all through the Old Testament. And, and that is one of the many myriad of reasons why the Old Testament matters because of all the prophecies for us. But secondly, I want you to know your salvation, my salvation, is the subject of anointed proclamation. Anointed proclamation. And we'll just be here briefly, but uh, verse 12 says, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit. Sent from heaven, angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. Now, friend, listen. That's the way the gospel is always to be preached. In the power of the Holy Spirit. In the power of the Holy Spirit. With the Holy Spirit that is sent from heaven. You see, this salvation, which was the subject of ancient contemplation, needs to be the subject of anointed proclamation. Oh, how dependent I need to be on the power of the Holy Spirit to stand before you today and preach this gospel. I cannot preach it effectively unless I have the anointing of the Holy Spirit on my life. And you need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now, at, at 10 o'clock, and I invite you to show up early for worship, we have a fine time here at 10 when we pray for the service. We just pray for all aspects of the service. We get our hearts and minds ready to worship. And that's a great time. I want to encourage you to be here at 10 uh, each Sunday morning to come and pray. But it's that prayer, and almost each week, somebody prays for the anointing. Uh, Father, we pray your anointing upon Pastor Ted. But then we might go further. We pray your anointing upon the whole praise team. And, and you know, it may not work, but, but we pray for it, right? I may preach lousy that day, and I'm not going to blame the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential. Why? Because it's the Holy Spirit that's going to take that truth 
and opened up somebody's heart to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior or to be convicted of some sin in their life that they need to make right with God. The Holy Spirit is absolutely essential. I want you to pray that for me, for your future pastor, that that person is anointed with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to pray for that anointing on your own life and all lives that make up this church so that the gospel of salvation gets out. So I've said this before, it's a, salvation is the subject of prophetic uh, contemplation, uh, and it was uh, the subject of uh, anointed proclamation. Listen, I don't know how many of you grew up in a church that sang hymns. We still remember the hymns of old, and uh, I remember back uh, two churches ago, our seminary church, Wheatland Baptist, we sang this song almost every week. It was about the, it was the most well-worn page in our uh, the family worship hymnal, I think it was called, something like that. Brethren, we have met to worship. Brethren, we have met to worship and adore the Lord our God. Will you pray with all your power while we try to preach the word? All is vain unless the Holy Spirit comes down. Brethren, pray, and holy manna will be showered all around. Let us pray that God would anoint this church and that God would do something totally inexplicable apart from His power and from His presence. So not only is our salvation the subject of ancient, ancient contemplation and the subject of anointed proclamation, it is a subject of angelic fascination. It is a subject of angelic fascination. And I'm truly fascinated with this part uh, of the message, this part of Peter that talks about the presence here of angels. Let, look at the last part of verse 12. It simply says, and I think it's just kind of unusual, it almost seems like, well, I got this great phrase, I don't know where else to tack it, but here, no, I, I know that Peter, anointed by the Spirit, wrote exactly what he was supposed to write. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. Now, I don't preach a lot on demonology or angelology. I looked it up. I think it's a word. The study of angels. Um, I don't preach a lot on heaven or hell, the particular subjects of them. I preach almost every week that you're going to one place or the other. But the Bible says, you know, has a, has, it's really limited on what it has to say about some of these things, especially, you know, heaven. Um, I have a book in my office, it's this thick on heaven. But the Bible says about this much. So I wonder how much extrapolation and, and uh, all kinds of modifications are in that book, but probably a good book nevertheless. Uh, but we have to be careful with that, you know, that we don't say too much on a subject because uh, preachers can wax eloquent uh, on heaven and demons and uh, angels and so forth. But how much is really in God's Word? I remember at uh, my last church there at Providence before you guys uh, came there, thank goodness, because if I'd have preached it, you, you would have left. And so uh, it was one of my early sermons there as a, um, 
I, I could have been interim pastor, but it might have been pastor. I don't remember which. But I was starting seminary, and I told the church I was starting to go to seminary in Richmond. I was making this trip back and forth. And uh, so they knew I was going to seminary to build on my education and so forth. And I, I preached a, a sermon on heaven. And, um, you know, afterward, I wasn't looking for accolades. Yes, I was. And so, the, you know, if people came and said, oh, that was so good. I think I'm going to see my dog in heaven. Or we, we had all kinds of good discussion, half of it wrong. I, I think just, you know, I, I, it was an awful sermon as I understood when I got out to the parking lot and a dear, um, older, wiser man than me stopped his car, leaned out the window, and said, uh, hey, pastor, concerning that sermon, you can't go to seminary soon enough. <laughs> Boy, I, I smiled, and I really didn't know what he was talking about. I said, I, I, I had to have a come-to-Jesus moment. I think that was it. I really, you know, had to be... Uh, cajoled by the Lord, um, that what I, not all of what I preached was in his word. And from then on, I made a strong commitment to preach only what I find in his word. I can use illustrations, but, you know, you don't, we can just say a whole lot about angels. Like, how many of you have a guardian angel? Let me see, no, that's good, that's good. Don't anybody raise your hand, because we don't know. We don't know. Um, how many think there's a demon behind each rock? Well, some people believe that, but it's not necessarily in the Word. But here's what I do know concerning angels. Well, just a little bit. Did you know that angels are fascinated by salvation? Now, we want to we wanna get um, much more interesting when it comes to angels. We want to talk about our guardian angel being there for us, you know, with a sword out and, and so forth. There are some things that angels do, and they're just still... They're fascinated by our salvation. They desire to understand it. This word, to, to catch a glimpse that we see here in the last part of verse 12, is a word that means to stoop down and to look carefully. It is used of, the, of Simon Peter when he ran to the tomb and it says he, he bent over and he looked into the tomb. It literally means he looked intently and intensely for the stolen body of Christ, for the resurrected body of Christ? Could it be? Can you imagine how intent and intense he must have felt when he knelt down there and saw that Jesus' body was no longer there? And that is the way angels are gazing upon, are scrutinizing and examining our salvation. Did you know that the angels are uh, very much involved in what God is doing in our salvation. You see where man fell in the Garden of Eden and the angels watched for the sure judgment of God? You know, I'm sure they, oh, they, they were just looking forward to some juicy time where God's going to let them have it. And, and imagine God calling a council of angels together in a great hall. Not that he did, but just imagine saying, my creation is ruined. Man is a sinner and fallen. All true. What shall I do? And I can imagine the angels would say, Holy Father, they should be judged. And they're right. They would be right. But I can hear God replying, no, they should be redeemed. They should be redeemed. And I can imagine the angels going, how can a holy God punish sin and still redeem them? How? 
And the angels come and look through the portals of heaven and see the great drama of redemption unfolding. And so God sends out the Old Testament prophets and they begin to prophesy of the sufferings of Christ and the glory that would follow. And then the Levitical system of sacrifice is begun. And the Israelites bring uh, thousands and thousands of lambs and and rams and, and doves for sacrifice. And a river of blood flows all throughout the Old Testament. And that condition of, of, of man's mind must happen so that man understands that sin means death. And that blood must be shed. And then in the fullness of time, God says to one of these angels, Gabriel... You go and tell that little virgin girl that I'm pointing to there, you go down and tell her that she is to be the mother of the Messiah. And I can just imagine Gabriel saying, but Lord, she'll freak out. (laughs) And God lets out a belly laugh that kind of shakes the universe and says, you go and tell her anyway. Gabriel, go now. Gabriel says, I'm on it. I'm on it, Lord. And then the Messiah is born of a virgin. And the angels watch with wonder and amazement and bewilderment, surely, as God and man in one person walks the earth. They see him in the carpenter shop. They see him as he grows into manhood. They watch him as he teaches and preaches and heals. And they watch him as he's abused and ridiculed as they as he suffers false trials, as they pull at the beard, as they spit in his face, and they crown him with a crown of cruel thorns and set a purple robe upon his body, and they shove him from one person to another, making fun of him. Finally, they watch as he's nailed with those searing nails through his hands and feet to that hellish cross. And he is suspended between heaven and earth, And the angels watch, and righteous indignation rises up in their hearts and minds. And then they unsheathe their swords, ready to go to the aid of the Son of God. And Jesus had said earlier that that, uh, in the time of His betrayal, do you think I cannot call on my Father, and He will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and for me. And the angels put their sword back in their sheaths because Jesus bowed his head and said, It is finished. For three days they mourned the death of the Son of God. And God calls another angel earthquake angel go down there and shake that tomb and the earthquake angel goes down there and in a mighty mighty earthquake the stone rolls away and the angel sits on top of that stone another angel goes into that empty tomb and sits there at the head of the body of the lord jesus where he had lain mary magdalene and the other mary came there that morning but the tomb is empty and the angels are there to to greet them and later jesus gives the the great commission 
and he, he goes up on the Mount of Olives with his disciples, and he is caught up into the air, and the disciples with their mouths still gaping wide open follow him with their eyes until he disappears behind the clouds, and he's gone from their sight. In Acts 1.11, there were two angels there that said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back to you in the same way that you have seen him go to heaven. But the angels aren't finished yet. Do you know what the angels are doing right now? They're looking in into our worship experience. They're looking into our worship experience. Did you know that the Bible tells us that angels are fascinated when believers come to worship? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, look at it. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made, should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And that is the angels through the church. How do the angels come to know the wisdom of God? Well, He can give it to them, but it comes also through by studying the church. The angels are watching. And the angels are being instructed in the way of worship and praise of the Lord. We have a much bigger congregation than you can imagine this morning. A country preacher one time was up late at night, burning the midnight oil, preparing his sermon for the congregation the next day. And he had a very, very small, tiny congregation. And his wife came in, not very encouraging, I must say, but said, why are you working so hard? Don't you know that you will have just a handful of people to hear that message? And he said, don't you know, my dear, how big my congregation really will be? Every time I preach the gospel, the angels are listening. Every time you take and open up the Word of God, the angels are looking over your shoulder to get a, a glimpse of God's holy Word. Every time we sing a song of praise, the angels are trying to learn the words and declare their own praise to God. But I want to tell you, with all of that, with all of that, the angels still cannot be saved. They cannot enjoy the salvation that we enjoy. Not that they're condemned, except for Lucifer and everybody that followed him. They're condemned to hell forever. But angels, they don't experience salvation. That's why they're so interested in it. How could our holy God not judge this evil people down on earth? Well, I don't know, but he's not. So let's look into it further. And they're studying our salvation. They're studying your salvation. And all they can do is stand on the outside and investigate our salvation. And although they are fascinated by it, they really can't experience it. Things which angels desire to look into. Holy, holy is what the angels sing. And I expect to help them make the courts of heaven ring. But when I sing salvation's story, they must fold their wings. For angels never knew the joy that our salvation brings. I'd rather be a saved sinner than an innocent angel. Friend, however, listen, how wonderful to know 
this salvation. Now, angels will go on and on through eternity, and they will be at the, uh, at the feet of God and worshiping, and we'll all be doing this together. I don't mean to say that angels will be condemned because they can't be saved, but they can't enjoy what it's like to be headed straight for hell and to be uh, embraced by God. Sometimes maybe an angel would turn you around, the Holy Spirit turns you around, maybe a good friend turns you around and shows you the salvation that you need. And then we are filled with such ecstatic joy when we come to faith in Christ. That's why we clap and applaud and shout out every time somebody is baptized there in the waters. It's just a wonderful, wonderful time. So my friend, you're going through troubles. You're going through tough times. There's a better day coming. Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has suffered and ascended, is coming back for us. And we're going to meet the Lord and be caught up in the air. I hope that encourages you today. Sure, we have heartaches. Sure, we have suffering. Sure, we have trials of, of every kind. Just as sure as gold goes through the fire and is made more pure. But one day that fire that you're going through is going to be turned and it will honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look, I, I want you to see something really important. In three verses, verse 10, verse 12, and verse 13. Just let your eyes just peruse. Verse, verse, I'm not going to read them again. 10, 10, 12, and 13. But I do want to focus because it's representative. Look at how much it says to you or unto you. 1 Peter 1.12 says, It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It's all for you. It's all for me. Why did these prophets prophesy? To gain a good reputation? No. They all gained a, a, a foul reputation. They all were very pure, uh, very uh, uh, much, they, they were persecuted right and left. Many of them were killed for saying, going against the king, going against what the people wanted. No, they did it for you. They did it for those whom they would never meet on this side of heaven. Why is Jesus coming again? For you. Why does a preacher preach on Sundays or any day that you listen? It's, it's for you. It's all about you. Friend, you're in the middle of it. And wouldn't it be a shame? For you to miss it. Why should others be saved and you not make it into heaven? Why should other people have their hurts turned into hallelujahs and, and not you? Why should others have their midnights turned into mourning and not you? Why should others have their Calvaries turned to Easter and not you? And I want you to know that Jesus turns our fears in to hope. And listen, as we come to the time of our invitation, time of decision for you, uh, if you were born in a Muslim home, uh, you would by right, you would by religion, by being born in that home, a Muslim. The same thing for Jews. If you were born in a Jewish home, by Jewish parents, you would by right and religion and all, culture, everything, you would be a Jew. You would be Jewish. 
But you cannot become a Christian simply because you were born into a Christian home. You must be born again. God has plenty of children, but has no grandchildren. You must receive Christ as your personal Savior. That salvation is unto you and is for you and it's up to you. Will you say yes? Will you say yes this morning? Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I, I ask your blessings upon this congregation. Blessings because we need them so much. Blessings, Father, because we're in trouble, going through issues maybe in life, going through circumstances that seem well beyond our ability to handle them. And Father, we so desperately need you. First of all, Father, for those of us who have not made it right with you, we have not been reconciled with you, we have not received the righteousness that Christ offers. And so we stand judged before you. I pray the greatest need for that person's life is salvation. And I pray today, Father, that they will accept the free gift of salvation. It doesn't cost them anything, but it costs them everything. And Father, help them to know what they're getting into. Help them to know that they will have the most joyful life, the most life filled with peace, and yet, it could cause, uh, cost them persecution. It could cost them maybe getting kicked out of a family. It could, it could cost them maybe their job or whatever. But Father, they will have a group of people here who love them, who care for them, and who are their brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray for their salvation. Maybe somebody watching uh, via Facebook Live today. I pray for their souls as well. I pray that everyone who's watching is born again. But if not, Father, would you convict their spirits at this time, wherever they may be? Father, lead us now into this time of decision. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.